Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale August 31st, 2022, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Jasmine, this is it. This is the end of Spider-Month. It is, sadly. Which means we can never talk about Spider-Man again. This is Spider-Man No More. No more Spider-Man content on Marvel's Pull List ever again. Yeah, the people have spoken and they they're done. They're like, no more Spider-Man. Lol, JK, Spider-Man is the greatest (laughs) character in all of fiction. So, of course, we will be talking about Spidey plenty, especially with new Spidey comics coming out just about every damn week. And it is a good week to end things on for Spider-Month because we're going to have a really great conversation, a really great big meaty issue to talk about because this is Marvel's official. Marvel Comics podcast where we run you through all the brand new Marvel Comics on sale. We tell you our picks of the week. We tell you all the other comics on sale. We give out a bunch of awards. We tell you what's on Marvel Unlimited, new Infinity Comics on MU, what new collections are out, and so much more, including a reading club. What's our cool reading club this week? Oh, it's a big one. We have the nefarious Nick Lowe joining us to talk about Amazing Fantasy 1000, which is the 60th anniversary book for Amazing Fantasy number 15, which, if you don't know, is the first appearance of Spider-Man. Yeah, so with that in mind, we're doing something a little bit different. It is one of our picks of the week, and so we are moving that pick, that big conversation, to the reading club later in the episode. So if you um, are listening to this on Tuesday, we know many of our listeners listen uh, sort of as soon as we drop it, you may want to hold off on digging into that reading club until um, after you get your books. If you're going to read Amazing Fantasy 1000, which we really think you should, it is so worth it. It is so, so good. Oh, I was I mean, just looking at it before we started to record and I was like, man, this book is so good. The scary thing about it is, and the most dangerous part about it is that there's so many variant covers that like, I want so many of them. And I'm just like, oh, I need to make up my mind. I have to choose one or two. I can't go further than that. But so many great stories from so many different legends throughout the years of, you know, from writing Spider-Man, drawing Spider-Man uh, to some newbies. And like, it's great. I adore that book. As do I. So um, with that in mind, let's dive into our picks of the week. Amazing Fantasy number 1000, of course, is one of them. We're going to hold that for later. And we'll dive into the other two picks of the week. I'll start us off with Thunderbolts number one. This one is a new launch, uh, kind of spinning out of the events of Devil's Reign and Devil's Reign Omega and Devil's Reign Villains for Hire. A whole bunch of stories there. But if you did not read any of that, you're okay to jump right on into this brand new Thunderbolts series written by Jim Zub, art by Sean Isaacs, colors by Hava Tartaglia, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. The pitch here on the title page is while serving as mayor of New York City, Wilson Fisk, the former kingpin of crime, sanctioned the Thunderbolts, a group of supervillains deputized to carry out his will. But now that Luke Cage is mayor, he's looking to redeem that name any way he can. One of the things I love about this is just the legacy. Now we've had Thunderbolts comics for 25 years. Yeah. Seems wild. And it's also like wild because there's a there's a particular scene in this book where Luke Cage is talking to Hawkeye, who is going to be the new leader of this of this team or this iteration of Thunderbolts. And it's like they're both talking about teams that they both led like at various stages. And it's like, oh, yeah, there are so many iterations of like Thunderbolts. So many people have been in it. So many people have led it. And it's just been a fun history worth of characters. Yeah. Yeah. The original Thunderbolts is a fascinating thing that we should probably talk about on the reading club at some point um, oh, yeah. because it was by Kurt Busiek and Mark Bagley and spun out of the events of Onslaught and Heroes Reborn when all the uh, a lot of the heroes your your Avengers and Iron Man and and Hulk and and various uh super team Fantastic Four they went into this pocket dimension fighting Onslaught and so there was this vacuum of power and up rose this new super team to come save the day and they were great and there's a huge freaking twist at the end of that first issue, which if you do not know the twist, I ain't going, I probably have said too much to begin with, but it's great. Don't say it. I've only read a couple of issues here and there, um, never in order, but I think I already know what the twist is. 
we get to see the current th- this like new Thunderbolts team go up against members of the previous Thunderbolts team. Shout out to Electro, who the the version of Electro who was on this previous Thunderbolts is. Uh, she is so funny and so like intense and like I'm like, oh hell yeah, I want her to break out and just do more. She's great. She's a lot of fun in this issue. Um, but the the squad here. Is got Hawkeye leading it. You've got America Chavez. You've got Power Man. Um, you've got a couple of new characters showing yes. up. You've got a new identity for uh, uh, an established character, Persuasion, who I imagine you you dug a lot, Jasmine. Oh yes, I mean Persuasion is Purple Man's daughter, um, and she was going, I think, previously as Purple Girl. She's one of the the children of Purple Man. I mean, like, I've always been a big fan of Jessica Jones. We'll talk about it in my next pick in a minute. But to see this character kind of branch out from that storyline and the stuff that's been happening in that world and, like, really come into her own and not only, like, rename herself and, like, just really own her identity but become a part of this team is just so exciting. Got to give credit to Sean Isaacs, the artist here. He's been doing great, consistent work for the last couple of years. But on top of all that, I think Jim... Zub, who is terrific, is setting up a whole bunch of great mysteries, some character mm-hmm. beats in here. There's one character, uh, one of the newer characters I like, I'm super into. Uh, one, he's super hot. Two, I want to know what his story is and like where he comes from, what his deal is. And then we're teasing a character who's on the cover of number one, but mm-hmm. we don't see until next issue, who is I know. just by visual alone will probably be my favorite character. Oh, easily. Moving on. Um, I already started talking about my, one of my favorite characters of all time, uh, Jessica Jones, but we are going to be talking about my next pick, which is The Variants, number three, which she stars in. And it's written by Gail Simone with art by Phil Noto, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And I want to shout out Betsy Cola, who's one of my favorite variant cover artists, oh, yeah. um, because her variant on this issue is so badass. Like, I can't wait to pick this one up. She has one coming up for the next issue as well that looks spectacular, but she's doing a lot with the different variants from the multiverse of Jessica Jones, which I I just love. I love seeing all these characters together. I love seeing the way that she's playing with the reflections. But this issue is, we're still kind of trying to figure out what's going on, right? Like there are all these Jessica Jones variants popping up in our main Jessica Jones 616's universe. Um, and the last one that we saw in the last issue was Jewel. She's from a universe where, you know, the events of the original Jessica Jones series never happened, um, where Jessica Jones continues to be Jewel and is a part of the Avengers, is like continuing to do her superhero thing without having that trauma happen. And the reason why I picked this book is because there's a part of this book where you, one, see Jessica Jones react to having to confront this person Um, this like innocent version of herself it's just traumatizing to even like look at the way that gail just writes her is just gets straight to the core of that type of like traumatic experience it really 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 visualizes and this is also like big ups to phil noto on being able to like visualize this but it's it shows how much of a tragedy how tragic how traumatic it is for someone to go through something like this and the conversation that these two characters have is just gut-wrenching and it's not just that there are other versions of jessica jones that we see in this in this issue as well um some that we've seen in the past and we get to explore their worlds and each one of them has had some type of traumatic experience happen and when you see and you read those moments you really start to feel like okay like our jessica even says it where where she's like none of us can catch a break in whatever universe Mm -hmm. and it forces our jessica to think maybe she's the quote-unquote best case scenario and it's like that's which is scary to me yeah Yeah. it's terrifying this issue got me this is one of those issues that i'm definitely going to pick up and it's going directly into my collection of like my all-time favorites because it's it's tackling some very 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 heavy stuff yeah yes indeed but now we got to get into our awards talk last week we had the hard to kill like an unpaid bill award um and it came from miles morales issue number 41 And I want to shout out Brad Ekman for two different reasons. The first, because he was the first person to email us um, with a picture of the page and panel, but also for introducing me to one of the most amazing things I think I've ever encountered. Ryan also helped me out in finding it, but I did not know that this existed. I, I think this is what Brad was talking about. It is a weird bit of Marvel ephemera from, I would, I want to say... 
the mid seventies, but I, I don't know exactly. It is uh, Spider Man Wow, look at that! Said mid seventies. Nailed the it. Bullet. Perfect. Uh, it is Spider Man Rock Reflections of a Superhero, which if you have never heard it, seen it, I think I have a vinyl copy of it here somewhere, That's um, which I bought many years ago. Uh, it is a nineteen seventy five album that is a bit of uh spider-man inspired songs and then like narration stan lee is in there it is got john romita senior art it's a whole experience please please go go check it out now brad specifically brought that up to us um because he wants to know if we could do a reading club or or something around he says the Spider-Man stories that were sold with the records that narrated the story. We'd love to know more about how this came about. Uh, oh, if yeah. Brad, if that was not the right thing, if there's a not, there are other sort of Spider-Man records out there. If there's one in particular you're thinking of, you let us know. Yes, please. Cause this was a treat of a rabbit hole to go down today. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to give some other honorable mentions and shout outs to Max Morell, who was very happy about our the Amazing Spider-Man Coming Home Reading Club we did a few weeks back with Alex Segura because it was Max's first comic book he remembers reading. I love that. terrific. It's great. Yeah, we also got some love from Mountain Meg, who shared, you know, her love for Preeti and uh, Preeti's Reading Club and just the comics in general from that week. It sounded like she paused in between the new books and the Reading Club to read Spidey, which I thought was really cool to get that kind of feedback. I'm curious how people like, you know, if you're out there, I would love to hear, even if you just email or tweet at us, like how you consume the show. Like, how do you listen? Do you pause? Do you read the stuff? Do you read it after you listen to the reading club? Do you not read anything at all? I'm very curious. Email us at fullest at marvel.com. Um, also shout out to super seven five over on Twitter who, uh, shared our excitement and enthusiasm about defenders. Number two saying I read it as soon as possible based on, what we said on the show last week. I knew I'd love it. And I did. I'm so glad that sort of helps reinforce like the, the whole idea is when we do these picks, these are the books that we absolutely love, love, love. And mm-hmm. we know money can be tight. We know it's hard for you to choose sometimes of what books to take a chance on. So when yeah. you do, and you check out our picks of the week, if they're outside of what you normally would, you know, read and buy, we really appreciate that. Also, uh, we have a couple of additions to our mm. United States of Pullist. Yes. We have three new uh, new additions. We have Craig Stone, who gets his comics from The Cave over in Ada, Oklahoma. Um, and then we have Steve Agnew, who gets his comics from Captain Blue Hen Comics in Newark, Delaware. And Joey the Horsehead, um, who gets his comics from Jetpack Comics over in Rochester, New Hampshire. That's at jmanine14 over on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Jetpack, that's a, a friend of those are friends of mine. I've I've known the folks at Jetpack, particularly the store one of the store's owners, Ralph DiBernardo, for twenty years, I guess. I don't Whoa. know. Um they they they're I think they, they are or were tight with Ed McGinnis, so they would do some cool stuff with Ed back in the day. Um I, I knew them through my time at Wizard. But they're great. It's a, just a big positive comic shop. It's you know, welcoming and and inclusive and really cool. Love it. All right. So we need to get to this week's award name. What do we got, Jazz? This week's award name is the Forget the Pastry, You Chump Award. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a good one. We mm-hmm. like it. Uh it's it's got funny context when you will find it in the issue that it appears in. So if you do find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're among the first, keep your DMS open, watch your email. I will hit you back for something cool. You ready to get into these fabulous, fresh new floppies? Sure am. Um, I'll it. start us off with Ant-Man number two, which uh, is so good. I got to give, I, I, look, I've got to give my Forget the Pastry You Chump award to artist Tom Riley, who once again goes like full chameleon in his art style when it's appropriate, because this issue focuses in on the irredeemable Ant-Man, the mm-hmm. uh, mid-2000s Ant-Man reboot that we did uh, starring Eric O'Grady. This is at a point where Scott Lang was dead and, and Hank Pym wasn't really doing the Ant-Man thing. He was a scrawn. 
He was yes, he was a scrawl. Um, but uh, the way that Tom Riley tells the Eric O'Grady side of the story in when it's set in that time frame, and it looks just like Phil Hester's art, who is the artist on Irredeemable Ant Man. It is so good. I love that so much. It's a great issue, top to bottom. Even uh, shout out to Al Ewing for doing the uh, intro text the same way they did it in Irredeemable Ant Man. It is. Mm-hmm. It's it's a blast. This series rules. Yes. And also takes place in Yonkers, New York, which oh, was yeah. my old home. Which is Before half a mile from where I live. Yeah. Next up, we have Fortnite Marvel Zero War number four. And I'm going to give my Forget the Pastry You Chump award to a particular mecha that is in this book that has probably the coolest design I've seen. Um, if you're a fan of Fortnite, you're definitely going to love it what ends up happening and who this mecha fights and like towards the end of this book like the art that you see with the mecha is just like this this book keeps getting wilder and wilder but seeing the main villain up against this is just ridiculous and i love it i'm here for it all right we've got gambit number two this week uh i i like that the title page here says you know itty bitty lies by chris claremont and sid cotian starring gambit and roe uh, but I want to give my Forget the Pastry You Chump award to artist Sid Cotian and color artist Espen Gutenjern for the flashback sequences in here. I, I guess it's not flashback. It's more mindscape inside Aurora's mm-hmm. head sequences that are tell what's going on while she's kind of in a bad place. Um, but the way it's colored and shaded and, and drawn, it is those are really beautiful sequences. All right, next up we have Iron Fist number five, which is the last issue of this uh, particular arc. And I just love what Alyssa Wong is doing with this character. I've said it from the beginning, like I'm a huge fan of Swordmaster. And when we got to introduce that character into this universe, I was very excited to see it. Um, And he's only continued to grow and evolve. And this issue tackles probably the biggest part of this whole story. And it's that Lin Lai has two different identities. He's a swordmaster and he's kind of got the gift of the iron fist now. So like, how do those two things even out? What is more important? You know, what is his role in this world? And it really answers that question in the craziest way. And that's what I'm going to give my forget the pastry you chump award to because the way that the shards of the sacred sword of Fuji come in to play all of a sudden at the Mm. end was so badass and I've never seen anything like it in the Marvel universe. And I'm really excited to see what's going to happen next. I mean, the book closes this arc really nicely, but the cliffhanger is wild. Um, If you're a fan of like immortal iron fist, like this is definitely going to be your jam. This does continue in an ax judgment day tie-in series. Oh, that's right. I believe so that we do, we will get more before we see where, where they go for, you know, permanently. Um, All right. On to Knights of X number five, nearly one of my picks. I loved this issue um big movements great mutant energy i will give my forget the pastry you chump award to captain britain betsy braddock she rules just throughout all this uh i I think she's such a great leader and really coming into her own between excalibur and in here and i think putting her in this place of like high prestige as a is an important part of mutant kind and the multiverse rules yes i adore her she's the I'm also going to tell us about Mech Strike Monster Hunters number three, which is just big action, fun toys smashing against each other. You've got monsterized versions of mech suited heroes and villains. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you could tell Christos Gage is just having a blast writing this and, and fitting in little weird bits of continuity and history and stuff amidst what is just big, silly fun. There is, I'm going to give my. Forget the pastry you chump award to the line that Venom says he's he like rolls in and they're all messed up and gnarly. He rolls in with a green goblin and Loki and he says, dude, branch out a little fight some hulks. They're not so tough. And it's, <laughs> it's great. There's so many like fun moments like that in this book. Yeah, there's one with Groot and Rocket, too, where Groot yeah. is like he just says, I am Groot in the mech suit. And then Rocket's like, we don't have time for the technical jargon. Let's go. <laughs> and it's just so good. It's great. Next up, we have Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood, number four. This particular issue consists of three different stories, um, but I want to give my Forget the Pastry, You Chump Award to the first story by Christopher Cantwell and Alex Lins because it brings back one of the moments, or one of my favorite elements 
of Moon Knight lore that often gets forgotten or is just it's because it's a weird one, really. Um, but it brings back some of the elements of Brian Michael Bendis's run on Moon Knight, where I was very excited to see the personalities that are presented in that run return here. Um, so that was really, really cool. All right. And I have the next one as well, um, which is another Christopher Cantwell story. Um, this one is Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi number four. And if you've been following the series, you know that all of these stories take place while there's a sandstorm on Tatooine and old man Ben is recording his stories um, and telling these types of, you know, memories from his long past, um, whether that's from the prequels or later on. And this particular story uh, takes place during the Clone Wars saga. And it does one of my favorite things. It's just Obi-Wan and Anakin kind of like discussing, like walking and talking, which is like, it, it might sound boring, but it's like, those are my favorite types of moments. Like the downtime, the the real character development and the like, you can see the like, the ways that they are, they butt heads or they've always butted heads in in, in the nuance there. But I need to give my Forget the Pastry, You Chump award to one of my favorite villains in Star Wars Ventress, who opens this issue up really nicely. Mm -hmm. All right, we've got Wild Cards, the drawing of cards number two out this week. Again, this is the series that is a comic book adaptation uh, and telling of the world of the Wild Cards, a, a universe and series of stories that was uh, created in large part by George R.R. R. Martin. And then he has a whole cadre of amazing creators who've done stories within these uh, confines. And so now we've got these comics that are bringing them to a new audience. I got to give, though, my Forget the Pastry You Chump Award to Mike freaking Hawthorne. So good. Probably, I, I think he has the distinction of being the longest running artist on Deadpool and just yes. did has done the most Deadpool comics of all of any artist. And he's great. Just an incredible artist. He's done a million different things, but the breadth of his skill set is so apparent in this issue. The first two pages of this are two pages of four panels, each page of a like medium shot of a character talking and the amount of acting and emoting. And even if you didn't fully like have the the words in front of you, you could get a good sense of like the emotion coming from this character and what's going on and what that means. It is beautifully done. And then you, you, you like flip two or three pages later, you get this double page spread of a giant limp apparatus over a city. And then you go a bunch of pages later and then there's like big explosions. And then there's this nightmarish, gross, gross double page spread of creatures and things happening to people that is so horrific and then the final page has this giant emotional moment mike is so damn good it drives me nuts i love it all right next up we have x-force number 31 in this issue there are two stories one that follows craven the hunter and deadpool uh, which i'll get into in a minute and the other one following omega red and the way that he's been adapting and getting used to just living on Krakoa and being a member of X-Force. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on there, but my favorite thing is that like, I mean, I could give my forget the pastry you chump award to like the amount of f that Omega Red gives, which is zero uh, when he saves these mutants who have been trafficked and like Beast is like, what are you doing? You're ruining the mission. Doesn't matter. I could give it to Sage who's like, here you, you monster. Here is a room where you can destroy and murder as much as you want, Omega Red. I want to hug Sage. I want like she's mm -hmm. she's spiraling and I no one sees it. And they've done such great work with Sage over the last two years. I'm like, no, please, somebody, somebody help Sage. They're just going to hurt her so much. Mm -hmm. It's it's scaring me. Um, but I'm going to give my forget the pastry you chump award to this fight between Deadpool and Craven the Hunter in his like cabin which that's all I'm going to say because it is the most bonkers, ridiculous, most on-character fight that I could possibly think of. And Ben Percy writes some of the best damn Deadpool I've seen oh in God. a while. Um, all right. Last new issue of the week is X-Men number 14. There's so much in here that I love. This, this could have been, maybe should have been one of my picks. First thing opens with a text page of just one sentence from Iceman. No more holding back. 
Mm-hmm. And that feels so big. If you know Iceman's history and everything he's gone through and, and all the times he's been holding back in numerous ways, it's it's a big deal. The idea behind this issue is it is in the midst of the Eternals just trying to destroy all of mutant kind. And the X-Men, this new team of X-Men has to deal with that. But also it follows this thread that's been, you know, going along for the last, you know, two years, whatever it is, year and a half of this gambling planet that there there's all these wagers on how to destroy Earth and new (laughs) horrible threats. The one that they have to deal with here is the like a solar flare coming Mm -hmm. to destroy Earth. And so the X-Men are like, yeah, we got this Mm -hmm. and how they use their their powers combined and, and this team of. Jean Grey, Sync, Iceman, Havoc, Cyclops, Magic, Forge, Firestar. Firestar. So good. The title of the issue is Eight Minutes Till Death. And it really feels like eight minutes because the issue goes by so fast. So fast. There's so much happening. And so I'm also going to give my Forget the Pastry You Chump to... I'm going to give it to... One, to Jerry Duggan for being just so, so good. Two, to freaking Cyclops. There's a Cyclops sequence in here where I was like... Damn it. Why y'all got to make me like Cyclops? I know. Every time. Why? Every time you're like, here, let me show you how this character is great. And I'm like, yep, you did. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. I nailed hate it. you, but you nailed it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's great. All right. That is all we have for the fabulous fresh new floppies. Um, we're going to move on to collections. And I have a couple different suggestions for people who want to pick up some collections this week or who are going to pick up some comics this week in general. Highly, highly recommend picking up Devil's Reign's Villains for Hire if you're looking at picking up Thunderbolt and you want to get a little bit more of the back history of what's been going on with this particular pocket and corner of the Marvel Universe. But also Devil's Reign X-Men, which is so good. That Emma story with Spider-Man is easily one of my favorite stories from this past year. And then also Silk Volume 2 Age of the Witch is Mm -hmm. just a damn delight. Like, please pick that up. Yeah. All right, let's go to Marvel Unlimited. First up, the Infinity Comics, the vertical scrolling comics that are available only on Marvel Unlimited. There's a bunch of great stuff I wanted to highlight. Uh, Issue 50 of X-Men Unlimited is this week. It's written by Steve Fox, art by Alan Robinson. Alan has been doing incredible work for us, relatively new on our scene here at Marvel with New Fantastic Four. I'm super, super hyped for this. And the the synopsis for this issue is uniting the losers of this year's X-Men election. This round of the secret X-Men picks up only minutes after the election with the Hellfire Gala in full swing, which is pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Over, uh, we also have Avengers Unlimited Infinity Comic number nine, which we also wanted to point out because mm-hmm. this is by uh, previous recent guests of the show, Mirua Ayodale and Doton Nakande, who did that great uh, story in Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood. And this is, they, they teased us a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's an Avengers story. The synopsis here is, on a faraway world, the Avengers become embroiled in an interplanetary conflict. But I just can't wait. I I'm just so excited for them to keep doing their thing. Yeah. And if you don't know, it's bringing together three different generations of Iron Man. We have Tony Stark alongside Riri Williams and uh, War Machine. And they're just doing their like it's the Iron Family just hanging out, kicking some bad people's butts. And I can't wait. I'm so excited for them. Yeah. Spider-Verse Unlimited Infinity Comic this week is the penultimate issue of Ken Niamura's Penny Parker story, which is really good. Stay tuned for us to talk about that mm-hmm. more in depth really soon. There's Marvel's Voices America Infinity Comic Love Unlimited, Millie the Spy, and issue three of Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal. It's a hell of a week for Infinity Comics. Yes, especially that American Infinity Comic number 14. Like, Very excited about that. Um, Juan Pons has been doing some great work. I've already read the first issue of this arc, and it's it's tackling some of the stuff that, you know, if you're an America Chavez fan or you're just curious um, about the character, it's a great place to start. Um, she's tackling with this depoweredness that she has, um, and she's hanging out with Loki along the way. It's pretty cool. What else is on MU this week? Also on MU, we have a couple of new issues. Uh, we have Captain Carter number three uh, coming to the service, Devil's Reign Omega number one, Legion of X number one, um, and Hellfire Gala number one, as well as X-Men number 12. All right. And one thing we saw that popped up on one of our lists of releases this week is Marvel Treasury Edition number 25. This is bonkers. It is Spider-Man versus Hulk at the Winter Olympics. Worth a read. 
let's get more Spider-Man action with our reading club. Once again, Jasmine, remind us, what are we doing? We are talking to Spidey editor Nick Lowe about Amazing Fantasy 1000. Um, lots of great stories within this issue. Um, you know what? Let's just get into it. All right, Jasmine, we're doing a special reading club today, as we've mentioned. And to do that, we have a very special guest, one of the nicest men in comics, Mr. Nick Lowe. Hello, Nick. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Jasmine. So good to see and hear you both. We are going to talk about Amazing Fantasy number 1000. And with that said, I want to put a big spoiler warning here because this issue is brand new. It's coming out this week. And normally we don't do this. We don't get into spoilers and stuff. But this is this is a very special issue for a number of reasons. We'll go into that. Um, but because we wanted to celebrate this and have you on the show, Nick, um, we want to get into some of the, the stories that are in this a little bit deeply. So um, if you are worried about spoilers, pause the show. Wait for the issue to come out. Go read it. Get it. It is fantastic. Again, it is one of our picks of the week. And and then come back and listen to us talk all about it. And for those of, uh, of you who are with us, if you've already read it, then you probably already know this. But one of the things that I love about this, even though I would probably claim that all of these stories, well, except for one, are in continuity, I still don't know that they could possibly be spoiled. They're just such beautiful little vignettes and and stories so I, i'm just so proud of it and uh and I, i'm just so glad to, that it's finally out in the world yeah yeah before we get into it can you like give us a little bit of the behind the scenes and how this came about sure so we were staring down spidey 60th uh probably this was probably i think in early 2019 we knew we were a couple years out and i knew i wanted to do a big 60th anniversary celebratory spidey one shot and Marvel Comics 1000 had just come out. And so everyone was on board to do something. We had a big internal argument uh, that I lost about whether to call it Amazing Fantasy 1000 uh, and to hit the same notes of Marvel Comics 1000 or to call it Amazing Fantasy 1500. So 1500. Amazing Because Amazing Fantasy 15, of course, is where Spider-Man debuted. So uh, Amazing Fantasy 1500 some of us thought it had a nicer ring to it, but we had a big fights about it and I lost. So it's, that's why it's Amazing Fantasy 1000. But regardless of a, t- a title, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Um, so that was kind of where it came from. And and at that point, I started fishing. I can't even tell you the amount of emails and calls I made out to people to try and get people on stories. But I got so many of my moonshots on this one and I'm just so proud of them. One of uh, one of which, and I'll lead off the conversation here because he was, I think, maybe the most surprising one was Armando Iannucci. For those of you at home who might not know, he created the show Veep. He created In the Loop. Uh, he Avenue 5, which is hilarious if you haven't watched it yet. And he is such an awesome, awesome person and a hilarious person and a huge fanboy. And I had been trying to get him to write comics for six years i believe it was <laughs> wow. i've been trying to get him to write something for me because and the and the story i want one of the reasons i want to talk to you guys about this too because there's a, the story behind that is the utter genius alex ross was doing amazing spider-man covers for me and one of the issues of amazing spider-man while parker industries was going on while alex was doing covers took place in london mm. and in it peter's fighting uh scorpio and he's getting thrown into a double-decker bus and Alex painted the characters from in the loop in the windows of the bus. And we can't really do that because they are people. <laughs> and I tried for a couple months in all the months, because I didn't even know it when he turned it in, to be completely honest. I kicked myself that I didn't. But it got pointed out, I think, by Dan Slott, who's a big fan. And I so I tried to get together to get everyone's likeness, because there were at least five, five characters five mm-hmm. actors whose likenesses were on there. And it's just, it ended up being too much. But I did get in touch with Armando through it. And so we we started the long courtship of me trying, like of me emailing him every three or four months to try and get him to write something. And it finally, finally happened with Amazing Fantasy 1000. And I knew 
I knew that I wanted him to write J. Jonah Jameson. That was the one immutable thing that I was like, if I'm going to get you, you can do whatever you want, Armando. Like literally, but the one thing I ask is that J. Jonah be in there because if there's anyone born to write dialogue for J. Jonah Jameson, it is Armando Iannucci who writes the biggest jerks on the planet. (laughs) He He writes hilarious jerks, maybe better than any human being. And he did not disappoint here, but he was a prince to work with. What an utter delight. Ryan Stegman came on to draw it. Uh, and Ryan is a huge Veep fan, a huge Armando fan. And the two of them worked so well together and they had a great time. And JP Meyer inked it. Sonia Obak colored it. And it just turned out so fun, so insane. We gave some people in upper management heart palpitations by some of it, but it was, <laughs> but it was worth it. I was going to ask about that because it's, yeah. it's very relevant. I don't know what you're talking about. I think it's utterly ridiculous. <laughs> I think there's no correlation to anything that's going on in the world. It was it's very very well written and very clever <laughs> in like the exact same like style that Veep is written and it's it's very much got his style incorporated into oh, yeah. it. And as well as like Ryan Stegman's art like they just worked so well together. Yeah. He writes this really funny story. It's great. Um it's got wonderful moments, but he he writes a panel in which Spider-Man punches Aunt May's face. And I was, I got to, I just cracked out. I was like, <laughs> "This nuts. is ridiculous! It's so good! It's it's great! Everything makes sense when you're getting into it." But um, man, I'm I'm surprised we even got away with that. Yeah, it was wonderful. that was that was one of our joys. Him, Spidey punching at me in the face, and him and her, and like, and if you if you read it, you know that she's telling him that she's the reason why he's not living up to his potential. Yeah, and he's like, "No, it's not true." <laughs> <laughs> Punches her right in the face. <laughs> yeah. Back to the first story that's in here by Anthony Falcone and Michael Cho with art by Michael and then lettered by Joe Sabino the, from the first page, which is like a standard page layout. It's you know as standard as one could get, really. It's, you know, like big opening shot and cool, you know, angles and stuff. But it is so gorgeous and so beautifully rendered and so beautifully establishes everything. I was taken aback by it. So they were, I think, the second story that I cast. And I, I love Michael's art so much. Uh, he is amazing. And I, I didn't really know Anthony super well. They're writing partners, but they came together and it ended up being a perfect fit for this just because Michael's art is timeless. And it's such a beautiful story that sums up Spider-Man so wonderfully in all ways, touches on continuity, but is yet evergreen and timeless. For me, like it harkened back to one of my favorite Spidey series, The Tangled Web of Spider-Man, yeah. which, which often those stories by one of my mentors, Axel Alonso, edited them. And oftentimes those stories, like one of the best ever Spidey stories, which is by Greg Rucka and Eduardo Riso called Severance Package, mm-hmm. which if you've got Marvel Unlimited, you have to look it up if you haven't read it. It is pound for pound one of the best Marvel comics ever. Uh, anyway, but those stories are always usually told like there's a supporting character or someone, a normal person in the world and Spidey interacts with them. So this is sort of like that only a little bit more central to Spidey. And I loved it. They both did such a great job. And this is another like I probably tried out 10 different running orders for this comic of which hmm. story should go where and why. And I ended up putting this one first. One, because Michael's art is absolutely timeless. Michael could have drawn this story 60 years ago, or he could have drawn it 50 or 40 or 30 or 20 or 10. Like his art is absolutely timeless. And 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 it's such a a beautiful sum up of Spidey. I thought it was a great way to kick it off. They're not the biggest names in comics. They're not the biggest names in the issue, but I, I, it just felt right to me when I finally landed on this order uh, for hitting this, hitting it just right to open it up. So that issue that you're talking about is Tangled Web number four. Four. Mm-hmm. Um, I just pulled it up. Spider-Man Tangled Web number four. I'm definitely going to read that soon. So good. We have um, a, a couple, it must have been a couple of years ago. I think it was Loot Crate did you know one of their home gears and goods packages. And it came with four plates of, uh, and all the plates were drawn by Michael Cho. They're like <sighs> little plates that, that Catherine eats off of. There's a Spider-Man and Ant-Man, you know, an Iron Man. And so like... A, a version of Spider-Man she sees every like two or three days is Michael Cho's Spider-Man because that's so awesome. what we will serve one of her meals on because it's just, it's a perfect plate for her. And so like, 
I don't know. I just have this beautiful connection. And Michael does a bunch of variant covers for us. So mm-hmm. for anyone out there, you want to see more yeah. of Michael's art. He's doing beautiful covers on the Ant-Man series right now. Um, and you talk about his art, you know, in, in, in this in the best way possible. It, you know, reminds me a little bit of Darwin Cook and that timelessness oh, yeah. and that storytelling mm-hmm. ability, the, the um, texture to the colors, the palette, everything. Now, Nick, one of the things you talked about was thinking about all the different ways these stories could flow into this issue. Can you talk a little bit about that thought process and what that means? You know, I think of when you started talking about that, it made me think of all the times I'd made mixtapes and then CDs oh, and yeah. then now playlists or whatever. Um, what is that process like for you in a big anthology like this? Well, sure. Well, in, in anyone, you try to think of like, OK, what are the tones? What are what is the tone that we're doing of each issue of each story rather? How do they feed into each other? Like, how do you want someone to feel like, you know, you, uh, you go from something funny into something serious, into something light, into something dark. Like, and you want to make sure that you're not like something super depressing. You probably don't want to go into something super zany immediately after maybe. Uh, and so I was wrestling with that a lot. And so this one in particular, when it was initially approved, I was approved to do 60 pages and this ended up running more than that. And so literally the only non-story page in the issue is the digital code page, if I recall correctly. Wow. Uh, and even to the point of the credits and the next issue page are on the inside front and inside back cover, which we almost never get to do. But I was just so pressed for space <laughs> that it was there. So the other thing, there are a couple comics in a couple of stories in here that have double page spreads. And so I had to be careful of where that went to. So that was the other consideration that I was going for. Like, But for this one, it was... I went evergreen to open, and then I believe I went right into that to to the Dan Slot one. Talk about tone, because this next one, called Sinister 60, it's written by Dan Slot with pencils and inks by Jim Chung, colors by J. David Ramos, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and this one made me cry. Oh, yep. Yeah, this is a story that Dan had wanted to do for a while. Like He knew exactly what he wanted to do as soon as I told him we were doing the 60th anniversary thing. He wanted in. And it is a 60-year-old, maybe even older, Spider-Man. As I'm nearing getting older and older, I'm like, 60 doesn't seem that old, Dan. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, this is not super surprising that Dan has told a beautiful story. I immediately think of Amazing Spider-Man number 801, his final issue of his run on Amazing uh, that he did with Marcos Martin. He had several joints with Marcos Martin that are, I, I believe, stand the test of time or the, some of the finest issues of Spider-Man ever. And he had just done a two-pager with Marcos in Amazing Spider-Man 900. And so we wanted to go someplace, somewhere a little bit different here. And Marcos barely was able to make time for us because he's so busy. And so we were lucky enough to get Jimmy Chung. And part of the reason why, why my mind went to Jimmy here was because this story is also somewhat timeless. And Jimmy is one of those few artists that I think anything he draws looks right. Like there's no Marvel character he can't draw that doesn't look iconic and doesn't look like the archetypal version, like the like you know the the prototypical version of that character. And his Spidey was so perfect. His, he drew old. a sixty yeah. plus year old Mary Jane, and I like without even having to read the word balloons, I already knew who she was. I was yep. just like, oh, like it's perfect. Yep, her hair's not red anymore. Nope, and, and like but you know the minute you see her that it's MJ. And his acting is fantastic. His page layout, his storytelling, what a genius. Uh, And J. David Ramos on colors is so good. They work super close. And it just turned out so great. And you don't know just how sad it's going to be as you go through it. Like, first, you don't expect it to be sad at all when you start it off because it's goofy and he's fighting a young vulture and he's the old man. And they make Dan makes a great joke about that in there. And then Spidey gets shot. And he's dying and things aren't looking good until they look like they're looking good. Then they look bad again. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's what a, a real roller coaster. coaster. Yeah. Oh, that... jinx. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The amount of like that I think Dan doesn't get enough credit for a lot of times. The amount of the messiness of humanity that Dan puts mm. in there. Like Dan, uh, like, you know, it was uh, he was running Amazing Spider-Man when I came into the Spidey office. When I started my time as, as spider editor there. And, and so he helped me understand spider-man as much as anyone ever has and i'm a huge spider-man fan going into being spider editor but sometimes i would be like dan i don't know if spider-man would do this and dan remind me like let's go back let's look at amazing fantasy 15 spider-man is a jerk peter parker is a jerk 
until he realizes he's a jerk and tries to fix it. Like that's the whole thing. He's selfish, but then he sees that he's selfish and tries to make up for it and tries to make the right choice. The right choice isn't automatically where Spidey goes. Dan doesn't forget that stuff. And so I love that. And I love that about this story that it's messy and life is messy in it. And yet it's beautiful. And he ties a wonderful bow on it in the, in the very end. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. This one, this one got me too. Um, hundred percent. I'm so glad. And then the last behind the scenes bit was, uh, I didn't have to fight hard, uh, because, uh, editor-in-chief C.B. Sobolski backed me up on this, but in that, on that final page, you see more of Spider-Man than you're used to seeing. <laughs> and that was, a, that was at least something that we had to at least talk about. Uh, and, and it was one thing that, it, that had I had to fight, I would have fought tooth and nail to keep I'm glad. that spider tush in there. Yeah. Um, it definitely alleviated, like, I don't know, just like it felt, it made it feel more whole and like, I don't know, just didn't leave you on a downer. It was just great. Nope. And it's real. It's real. People don't talk about that enough, about how everyone has a butt. Newsflash, people got butts. Yeah, people do have butts. Thank you for saying so. Um, you know, I we, in my that. house, I've got three kids. We talk about butts all the time. <laughs> so you know, I just, just kind of want the world to know. Butt talk should flow freely. Yeah. Um, all right. We, we mentioned the next story already, the uh, Spider-Man versus Conspiraton. Um, but we're, we'll move on to The Kids Got a Good Eye, written by Rainbow Rowell, with pencils and inks by Olivier Coipel, colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. Um, all the, those first three names I mentioned, incredible rock stars. We got to give love, though, to Ariana, who's been doing such amazing work over the yep. last, like, two years, year and a half, whatever. She's incredible. So She's amazing. incredible. Yep. She's the newest addition to virtual calligraphy from, like, I think it was three or four years ago. Uh, she is fantastic. She does such great work. She uh, she works her heart out on this stuff. And I, and I think she's working herself into the Hall of Fame. She's one of the best letters I've ever worked with. And it's been a delight and she did such a great job here uh, she letters iron cap for us she letters silk for us um uh, and a ton of other stuff for marvel it's just in the spidey office um but ariana is terrific and and she did a great job here too and this story i loved like so we went from like the dance slot one that's both funny and then heartbreaking and then heartwarming the armando story which is uh hilarious big outlandish uh there's some heart there but it's mainly the jokes um, and then there and and into this story, which I love this story. And, and mm-hmm. so Rainbow used to work in a newspaper. She was a columnist and a journalist. And so she brought some of that to bear here. And all she also writes a great J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, he's just one of the one of the best supporting characters in any fiction of all time. And she did a great job here. And it's just so again, the messiness of life on on parade on parade here. Uh, and then I knew I needed I didn't I needed someone really special to draw this one because it's not just Spider-Man beating up a villain, uh, saving the day. It is something very different. It's as much about Peter Parker and just a, a slice of life as as anything. And as soon as I got to the double page spread, and I was thinking talking with Olivier about doing something, I'm like this is right up Olivier's alley because Olivier it, it, he draws comics. He could be painting paintings that are in the Louvre. You know, I mean, like he could he could be drawing anything where there's art. He is just a genius. And and if anyone was going to be able to draw a picture of a person feeding a, a hot dog, a.k.a. a wiener to a wiener dog on a photo that Rainbow wrote and it cracked me up, I knew it was Olivier. Like all these things, like I, just capturing life. I knew I was in good hands there. For those who are going to pick this up, um, and read it like I, I implore you to like go back and reread this story just because once you know what happens that first page sings yeah it's great and I, I really I love Matthew's colors on this story in particular oh merging his colors with Olivier's like a little bit more European style in this than than some of his more like straight up superhero stuff especially in that mm-hmm. in the first page the way he draws Spidey is so amazing but then you get spidey's like a lighter blue color on his costume at least in the version that i have in front of me it's it is gorgeous yeah i mean matt we were just at san diego and matt won his third eisner award for best colorist and what a deserved award uh matt is an awesome guy uh an incredible colorist and he and olivier work so well together um and he and rainbow have worked together on runaways for a long time 
and and yet there's so much subtlety in every level. I mean, Rainbow writes with such subtlety in everything she writes. Olivier is so subtle. Matt is so subtle. Ariana is so subtle. I, I just think this is such a delicate, beautiful story. It just warmed my heart, and I and I and I just loved it immediately. All right, let's talk about this next story, which is a little bit on the creepier side of things. It sure is. Yeah. So this one, written by Hoche Anderson, breakdowns pencils by Giuseppe Camuncoli, who everyone calls Camo in the biz, finishes by legend and all around amazing guy Klaus Jansen, colors by another legend Jordi Belair. And it was letter by Clayton Cowles. Yet another, like it just unbelievable Hall of Fame cast here. I, I mean, this is pretty much Hoche's first draft, and uh, we we've been talking about doing it for a little while. He turned the script. And I was like, this is great. Spider Man is not in it a ton, but it's it's again, it's a beautiful kind of slice of life, kind of tangled web sort of story where you get to know a character and their very complicated life. And Spider-Man enters into it and makes it a little bit better. And at the same time, it, this is very much at a time in continuity where Peter's life is a mess and Spider-Man's life is a mess. And I think this story helped Peter's life and Spider-Man's life get better too. Like, I think this was therapeutic for both of them, which I found really beautiful. And I'm, I'm really proud of this one too. All right, up next is Slaves of the Witch Queen, uh, which was a really fun one, written by Kurt Busick, penciled and colored by Terry Dodson, inked by Rachel Dodson, and lettered by VC's Joe Sabino. You started cackling there, Nick. Why are you cackling? So this was the very first story that I got word back from someone who who I reached out to write a story for here, and Kurt accepted it. And, and so I knew I wanted him involved because I at least wanted one story to speak to more than just Spider-Man's part of Amazing Fantasy 15. And this combines the Spider-Man story from Amazing Fantasy 15, or at least Spider-Man, as well as the mummy story from Amazing Fantasy 15. I mean, that whole comic is great. It is a delight. There's the mummy story. There's an alien story. There's, there's so much to love in that insane Lee Ditko jam. And so Kurt found a fun way to kind of tie these two together. In that original story, a thief runs into a museum, a mummy opens up his sarcophagus and lets the thief escape the police by going he into He does there. make it clear, though, that he's not going to turn him into a mummy. He's like, <laughs> yes. here, hop in this sarcophagus. I'm yeah. not going to turn you into a mummy, but I will get you safe. Uh-huh. And it's wild. Uh, and so Kurt came up with this cool thing to do with. Uh, Terry agreed to draw it and did such an awesome job. And his wife, Rachel, they've been working together for... 20 years at least now uh, collaborating and they get better and better every page they do. Uh, and this was no exception. And uh, it, it's a kind of a, a palate cleanser after that super intense, uh, pretty depressing, pretty scary spider story to this one. And that was kind of partially why I put it there. This is, it just felt timeless, classic, a wonderful little palate cleanser there. Yeah. It, it's gorgeous. This next one is like one of those like stories where you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that this writer could be funny because they're so known for like writing a certain style. This one is called You Get It by uh, Jonathan Hickman, uh, pencils and inks by Mark Aketo, colors by Frank Martin and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Um, essentially, it's our Peter Parker from 616 who goes into pretty much like a, a multiversal Spider-Verse. Sorry, Spider-Verse. There we go. Thank you for yes, correcting the pronunciation. Correct Sorry. I don't know what to call it, but it's a dimension where there are multiple Spider-Man all congregated together. It's the Parliament of Reeds, basically. Yes, exactly. Right? Like, and, and I mean, this story, I was not expecting it. Again, he turned it in and I was like, no notes. Let's let's get Marco on this and do it. Uh, it is one of the most Jonathan stories mm -hmm. you can imagine. Like it is, and maybe the most Jonathan story ever and since it's only seven pages he didn't like have much time to go super deep or get super serious at times although it does get pretty serious in a way but like it is so funny this just reminds me of if when you hang out with jonathan he is this funny and he is this kind of dark at times <laughs> and uh and we got dan slot and mark bagley are working on uh, their, a new spider-man book called you know the end of the spider-verse and 
It has all kinds of alternate spider characters. This is not that. This is its <laughs> own thing. And for a second, I was like, should we do this in the middle of like all these different Spider-Verse stories? I'm like, yeah, it's a great story. Who cares? It's so funny. He His jokes keep twisting you and turning you around. Just like Peter's getting twisted and turned around in here by these other spider people. But it's just like perfectly Peter, too. Like, if there was alternate versions of Peter Parker all congregated like this, of course they're going to mess with every single new Peter that comes into the fold. Yeah. It's so good. And I I, I think to your point of, like, this is Jonathan's sense of humor, the three Spider-Men that are not our Peter at the core of this are all Jonathan. They're just Jonathan being a jerk, but also, like, giving a hug and, like, being silly and, like, having fun. A lovable jerk. He's a lovable jerk. (laughs) Very much so. Yeah, that's right. And Marco came in and did such a brilliant job. Marco, if you if you uh, if you live under a rock, Marco is drawing Daredevil uh, right now, and he's been doing it for a couple of years now, and is just so dang good. Yeah, I, it's funny because I read this and I was like, oh, this has got to be like a portent of things to come because if Marco is not drawing a Spider-Man title within the next two years, then somebody done messed up. I mean, right now, I think they'd kill me if I tried to take it <laughs> yeah. from Daredevil. But Marco is so good. Yeah. All right. And then we get into almost the last story of this one. And it is called With Great Power, written by Neil Gaiman, penciled and inked by Steve uh-huh. McNiven, colored by Steve and Richard Eisenhoff, and lettered by Todd Klein. And so I, I didn't look at the credits as I first opened this one. I was like, what is this? Who is this? And I, in the best way, I was like, what is this story? It was so great. It caught me completely off guard. And then I, when I started to get into it, I was like, oh, what a wonderful way to tell this story. Yeah. So this one was pretty special too. So Neil, I've edited Neil twice at Marvel. I edited uh, him on 1602. The, uh, I assisted through that whole thing. I edited the last couple issues of that one. Which is name dropped in here. Yeah, it is. It is. And then I edited him on Eternals as well. And and I've I've been I'm so lucky to have because he is such a wonderful collaborator, he's such a wonderful human being. He's he's been so generous with me with his time and his wisdom, and, and he's just lovely. He's just a lovely person. And, and I contacted him knowing full, thinking full well that he was going to tell me no. And the thing that got this is this has worked several times. Uh, he has a young son who is a huge Spidey and his Amazing Friends fan. Yeah. And so he basically wrote this to get points with his son. And he squeezed this in. And, and all the while while he was writing it, he kept telling me, he's like, I don't know if this is going to work, Nick. This is what I'm writing is very weird. And, and I was like, sounds great, Neil. Like, I, I'm all for weird. And I'm thinking like, it'll be, you know, well, Mysterio. And Mysterio is like changing the way up is down and all this kind of stuff. But, but no, Neil does what only Neil can do and tells something that is meta and yet not trying to out-clever itself. It is something that is utterly human and personal and gorgeous. And it was the kind of thing when we were going back and forth, you know, we were trying to figure out who should draw this story that Neil hadn't yet written. You know, who should be doing it? And we are trying to find someone who was kind of new to Spidey, someone who hadn't drawn a bunch. Like, And then all of a sudden, I had kind of not thought about one because he'd drawn Spidey before in a pretty famous way, um, but also because he's working on a secret project for me right now, Ooh. and it was it, and it was Steve McNiven, and and I said, now, wait a second, I wonder if Steve would do this, even if it means we delay the secret project by a little bit. And I sent Neil some of what Steve is doing on the secret project that he's working on, because it is unlike anything he's done before, and it, it reinventing himself yet again. He's the Madonna of comics. That's what I. That's what Ooh, we always say, I like right? That. Uh, <laughs> And so Neil's like, oh, that'd be perfect. And so he wrote the story. And this story is kind of trippy in that it begins with Neil as a child reading POW magazine, which was POW in the UK reprinted in black and white Spider-Man. And that was Neil's first experience. And it leads into a time when he briefly met Steve Ditko. And it's all about Neil and Spider-Man. And it's beautiful. Like, this is a sort of story that you wouldn't be surprised if it showed up in, like, a Sandman or something like that. And I was not expecting it. I was expecting, especially because he was writing it because his son's into Spidey, for him to write a cool Spidey adventure. But no, he did something way deeper. It's got such heart. It's, yeah, you you said the humanity, but to me, it just, I think this is a perfect story that Neil can give to his kid and be like, this is what Spider-Man means to me. It's sort of like the, the other side of the coin to, you know, a, a Dan Slott, Marcos Martin story, which what Spider-Man means to everyone else in the universe. 
I love the stories about what Spider-Man means to us because everybody has that, just like you were talking about. We all have our Spider-Man things. I know my daughter is going to have her Spider-Man things as well. So it's yeah. that's great. That's a really beautiful way to sum it up, Ryan. That's a really beautiful way to sum up that that story. That's so cool. Um, and then we got I, I flipped the page and in the credits page at the yeah. beginning, there's okay. I was like, oh, there's more to this. And I flipped it and I, I cried. Nick, when I got to this yeah. page, because you, you have this beautiful little story and memorial about our friend, Mike Pashulo, who we lost, God, uh, just over a month ago. Yeah. So I explained a little bit on the page, but Mike, so Mike Pashulo is one of the greatest people I've ever known. Um, he came back to Marvel. He had had a first stint at Marvel and in the trading cards uh, with Fleer, I think it was. Um, back in the 90s. And he had come back in, I think it was 2004, maybe 2005. And he's been working in marketing ever since at Marvel. Uh, he, Like you said, he, um, if you've ever been to a Marvel convention, like I say in the, in the thing, you either saw Mike or you felt his presence. And if you read any Marvel event or heard of any Marvel event since 2005 or six though it's Mike's fingerprints are all over the hype machine of these things. I mean, I remember working on civil war with Mike. I didn't edit. I remember being working on some books that tied into it. Obviously Tom Brevoort edited that, but in like secret invasion, I just remember Mike, Mike and kind of headed up Marvel marketing comics. And then he went over to TV and animation and, and worked with studios for a while. And then kind of came back to uh, with uh, still lived in LA, but worked with Marvel West. And then all of a sudden about, a month and a half ago, uh, some of us learned a secret that he'd been keeping with with just a few super close friends um, that he'd been fighting cancer uh, for a couple of years, and and he, and he passed away about a month ago. And leading up to it, we were, CB, who was one of Mike's best friends, knew about a story that Mike pitched and. Uh, and we wanted to do something to honor him here because he's been a, such a huge part of the Marvel family and he's such an amazing person. But he had written a, a miniseries uh, on spec to try and get it printed. And for whatever various reasons, it didn't happen. Um, I finally got to read it about the week after he passed when we were trying to map out to what this is. And it's terrific. Um, but obviously, we're not going to print a miniseries in the in the back of this here. And... Uh, but there, this what you read in the final pages of Amazing Fantasy 1000, we added free of charge in here, are a five-page story, the last five pages of Mike's miniseries that he wrote about this guy named Ryan who unwittingly gets superpowers and tries to be a hero and kind of like Spider-Man, both fails and succeeds. Spidey's in the hole in every issue. And this is the kind of summation of it. And it, it ends up being who Spider-Man is and who a hero is and all about the ways that any of us can be a hero. And you could, in reading it, it, it was just, a, the reading of it was a picture of Mike basically. Yeah. And because Mike in, we've had a, a lot of great opportunities to remember him with other friends and parts of the Marvel family. And I don't have any, I don't, there was no time that I know of working with Mike that he didn't do the right thing and that he didn't make time for you if you wanted or needed it. Um, and it was just a beautiful way that we thought would be a perfect way to honor him. Uh, and so we're thinking, like, well, who could draw it? Like I, I broke it down. I read all the issues and that's the scene I thought would be perfect. CB, Sobolski, writer-in-chief, agreed. And I put it together and... I called Todd Nauk. Uh, Todd is a Marvel veteran, uh, one of the best in the biz, and one of the nicest people in the biz. Like you said, that I was the nicest person in comics. No, that's Todd. Yeah. Todd is true. the nicest man in comics. Uh, <laughs> Jock is up there, cover artist Jock is up there. He's super nice and he gives the best hugs in the industry. And then the, the other nicest person in comics was Mike, you know? And, but Todd knew Mike. From convention times and all that kind of stuff, they're both you know weekend convention warriors, um, and and Todd dropped everything to do this. He penciled and he inked it, and 
Uh, Rochelle Rosenberg, another huge part of the Marvel family. Uh, uh, Rochelle colors a ton of books for us, and she, and she is a treasure. She is a treasure of a human being. She knew Mike as well from convention stuff. Um, and everyone just poured their hearts into this from, uh, you know, Joe Sabino lettered it. And I, I, I think Joe and Mike, I don't think that I know that if they were close or not, but he definitely knew Mike. Um, but we just wanted to try and honor him and to use his own words to try and do it. And it was another one of those weird, not creepy things, but weird, odd things that what he wrote ended up fitting for him and for Amazing Fantasy 1000 and for Spider-Man. The fact that this that we were working on it just as everything went down, just as he was sick and passed, it is one of those things that makes you wonder about how life works and what life is and that where life is real funny and real sad, but also beautiful. I'm so glad we were able to do it and to honor Mike because no one deserved it like he did. Yeah. Right. Um, and we miss him terribly. We do. Thank so, you, Nick. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you both for giving me the opportunity to talk about that as well and to talk about this whole thing. I'm so proud of this book. It was a labor in love and it, and I, it, it, like any great comic, it, it almost didn't happen. <laughs> and we, it was through the work of these writers and these artists and our, and my wonderful assistant editors, uh, Lindsay Kohick and Caden McGahee, um, the support of Devin Lewis and Tom Groneman, also in my office. And then C.B. Sabolsky was a huge champion for this through the whole way. David Bogart, Ricky Purden, uh, Dan Eddington, all these people who uh, I give no thanks to Tom Brevoort. Um, <laughs> uh, known dirtbag Tom Brevoort. Um the one thing, one I will say, one thing I'll give him credit. He definitely scared me off of having each page be by a different creative team. There's no way I was going down Oof. that road. How that guy did that with Marvel Comics One Thousand, I will never know. But I'm so proud of this book. It's one of the biggest, most intense books I've ever worked on, and I'm so proud and I'm happy with how it came out. It's yeah. it's beautiful. And just so you know, I have mine pre-ordered. And the minute I have it in hand, I'm gonna with a sharpie right over that that first O. So that it, it does say Amazing Fantasy 1500. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, guys. Jasmine, Ryan, such a pleasure. All right. Thank you once again to Nick Lowe for spending all that time um, getting deep into the behind the scenes of this issue and just everything about it. Again, Amazing Fantasy number 1000. Give it your money. It's worth it. Oh, it's so good. I love it. You know what? I've convinced myself to pick up three copies. I think I told myself two at the beginning of this episode, but it's going to be three now, at least. Well done. We'll take your money. Uh, all right. That wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk Allison. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And he was actually the engineer on that um, Spider-Man album, Rock Reflections of a Superhero. Oh. He was, uh, it was, he was only in his 30s at that point. Wow. What a baby. Baby Brad. Baby Brad. Good job, Brad. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.